For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Our chat system connects the Newcastle community with its public forums for supporters globally, as well as private chats with your mates. Download the free Toonami app now from the App Store and Google Play. I'm good, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, so I've just had a shame I've got the video on between my lovely feature wall behind me and, uh, and the fact I'm wearing shorts and t-shirt and look like a travelling hobo unshaven. <laughs> um, we are we are pretty much bearded warriors at the moment, so we're not going to yeah. put this video out. Um, so how's <laughs> lockdown been treating you so far? Uh, I think like everyone ups and downs, really. I have, um, I've had good days, good times. I've had some pretty bad days as well. Um, I don't think the takeover situation has helped. Um, most Newcastle fans will probably say the same thing. Um, yeah, it's been challenging. Two elderly parents uh, who moved up here uh, 18 months ago. Um, so they've needed quite a lot of, um, you know, errands run and all that sort of stuff. So I've, I've spent most of my time, I've got family friends as well who are isolating. So I've been doing a lot of supermarket shopping. Um, I'm still married though. So that's the main thing. I haven't actually ended in divorce yet. <laughs> Not um, no, the te- yeah, no. Well, I, you know, I, I do think we should, I do think we were both a little bit worried because obviously I travel quite a lot normally during the season. Spend half my life in Manchester now, so um, yeah, no, it's been fine. It's okay. I'm just pleased the end's in sight. And I'm pleased the football's coming back, and I think we we can all all concur with that. It's not going to be ideal behind closed doors, but it's it's better than nothing. And um, yeah, it's been nice as football, but um, yeah, I've, I've had enough of it now. If I'm honest, lockdown it's kind of it, it, it's tougher mentally than I thought it would be. Yeah, just just on that, have you like had any new hobbies that you've kind of come up with? I a lot of wine that? drinking, Graham. I mean, I'm I was already a big wine drinker. I don't want to sound like an alcoholic here, but no, I do I do, I do drink quite a lot of wine. The uh, when I went into lockdown, when everyone else was um, was stockpiling stuff, I did this ridiculous thing where I was like, I said, "Oh, we're always going to have more than thirty bottles of wine in the house." Um, so we had, I think, at the height of it, I think we had 50 bottles of wine just before when lockdown started. I just got back from America. Um, and yeah, we did a, yeah, so it's just been ridiculous. And it's just a bit of fun on social media, really. Everyone was talking about cans, but I don't drink beer really anymore. So um, yeah, so no, I've, my hobby's wine. Um, my backyard is very, very nice. Lots of plants in there. Um, I started running, um, which uh, is going badly, but I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. Um, so, yeah, so running, gardening, wine drinking, I would say. At least, you're, wine, at uh, least you're trying with the exercise. I've barely got out of the house, apart from yeah. my garden, which has never yeah. seen so much love in all its life, which is great. I feel like all the garden, well, we've only got backyards where I am, but everyone's, everyone's backyard seems a lot, lot tidier and there's lots of plants going up. And, uh, yeah, no, look, it's, um, 
it's tough for everyone. I mean, I think it, I think all of us when we get through this, um, all of my friends, every single one of them, you know, we've all we have a Zoom uh, house party every Saturday morning. There's six friends, best friends of mine, and everybody struggled with it. So if you have been struggling with it, I wouldn't. I, you're not alone. I think absolutely everybody has done it for a variety of reasons. Um, yeah. Yes, no, it'd be good when it's all over. Absolutely. Um, so you know, we're here. We're a part of a Newcastle United podcast. It would be insane not to bring up the takeover situation, which yeah. has been dragging on for, well, it seems like years for me. Um, so what is your take on it? Where, Where's it at? Um, and do you see it going through? Um, it's impossible for me to say whether it will go through. And I think that's the problem we've had throughout this is that people are desperate for journalists to kind of give them answers and I'm not going to lie, there's been a lot of people who have made claims during this process which have been untrue. I think we've been led a bit of a merry dance at times. I think the one of the main issues if, is if everybody had just shut up after it went to the Premier League, I don't think we would have all been... We probably would have now because I think it's eight weeks, isn't it? But all of that stuff at the start, it's days away, it's going to be next week. And that was coming from, you know, that was coming from sourced information. And someone was talking, I'm not going to say who I think it was, but I don't mean that would be fair, but someone spoke out of turn and they've caused problems that created anxiety because, you know, we keep thinking it's going to be the next week and I've even fallen into that trap. Um, It's obviously very, very complicated and I don't think we can blame the Premier League for taking as much time as they have done because people have to understand that the Saudi Arabian, the way Saudi Arabia is as a country is very different to what our own government system is it's effectively a totalitarian regime uh it's, you know the, the the rulers rule with absolute power so every decision in saudi arabia to an extent leads back to the government and the crown prince and everything so the problem the the premier league have had is that they have tried to take legal action in saudi arabia nine times about piracy there were so you know this predates the newcastle takeover by years um, they have viewed Saudi Arabia, I think it's February, they wrote to the US Senate and said that they deserve to be on the very top level of theft of intellectual property rights. That isn't something you can just, no matter how much the buyers want to tell us, and I think we're all starting to realise that they were selling us a little bit of false hope, yeah. is that that can't just be swept under the carpet. Um, I know there's been some pretty reprehensible things said on Twitter about the, the wife of the, or fiancé of the, of the murdered journalist. Those human rights issues are, are unsavoury. I don't think we should ever try and hide that the Saudi Arabian government does some pretty awful things. Uh, the war in Yemen, for example, I think if you read up on that, you'd probably be shocked about what's going on. Um, they do do some, some pretty bad things. However, I've said from the very start, that's not football's problem. I know that's horrible and sounds flippant to even say it, but if the British government are going to do billion pounds worth of deals with the Saudi Arabian regime, then there's no reason why they can't buy a football club. I have no problem with that at all. If we're going to sell arms to Saudi Arabia, if the if the Crown Prince is going to be granting an audience with the Queen, it's not the Premier League's place to stop a, pre, a takeover on that basis. Morally, that, that there is no moral justification in the fit and proper persons test. So I was always very, you know, supportive of the fact of Saudi Arabia's right to buy a football club. That's fine. That's separate. But we can't. The Premier League can't ignore the piracy issue because they've been one of the driving forces by trying to take legal action against the Saudi Arabian. And it is, whether it's ever been legal, the fact that they've asked for the Saudi Arabian regime to be on the top level of intellectual property rights, and this is a buy takeover that's been bought by the public investment fund of the Saudi Arabian regime, 
very very complicated and now what what the what they've got to get through in their own head and make sure it's legally watertight is are the people involved in the purchase through the pif linked in any way to the piracy now directly no they're not but the question is and this is what bin will be pushing and that their own agenda as we know is because they want there's a proxy war between saudi arabia and qatar the bin are worried about losing the broadcast rights whatever their motivation is it they have presented partly they have presented perfectly relevant documents to the premier league saying they've done this they've done this they were behind the piracy blah 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 blah. now the premier league have got to try and separate the people who are buying newcastle from all of that and to try and do that is incredibly complicated i don't know still i don't know i'm not a lawyer i've read the fit and proper person's test and for me there probably are grounds to block it based on what i've read but I'm not a legal mind and I know there'll be people out there who are more legally qualified than me. I've read the test and I've looked at some of the stuff that's come out, most notably the World Trade Organization stuff that came out last week in The Guardian. That was probably the biggest worry I've had when I read that story and I was aware that there were some serious documents that had been presented to the Premier League um, and I was aware that they were WTO, um, but I hadn't seen the documents, so we didn't run anything. And um, it is a serious issue. It is a serious issue. Now, the Premier League have obviously got in, in, are in possession of that document. Is it legally binding? I don't know. But it's obviously caused a problem. Anyone who tells you that it's not caused a problem and it's all been dealt with are talking nonsense. If it had been dealt with, it would have passed and they would be yeah. in charge at St. James's Park now. I, so I there obviously know. is a problem there. I can't tell you. Anyway, I, I cannot tell you that it's going to go through. I cannot tell you it's going to be blocked. And I'm fed up with even trying to predict what's going to happen. <laughs> I think it's very, very complicated. And I think we have to accept now, as hard as that is, that it's in some sort of doubt. We have to because it's taken so long. That doesn't mean, and I'm going to stress, I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying it's going to be blocked. But I think we are. it's common sense now to think after eight weeks, heading into nine weeks, and it's still with the Premier League, which I think is the longest it's ever taken for a fit and proper person's test. Yes, they've got other issues on, but they will still have lawyers looking at this throughout. It has to be in some doubt, but we are, you know, you can retain hope that it's going to go through. I'm just saying it's in some doubt. I don't know which way the, the Premier League are going to go. I don't know. It will all be on legal advice. It's in the hands of lawyers and it'd be counter arguments being presented by other lawyers. It's above my pay grade. I didn't become a lawyer for a reason. So um, I, I don't know. It's got to be in some doubt. But look, all we can do is wait. And I would just urge people, it's exhausting. And we talked about this at the start, Graham, about you know what's lockdown been like. This has been exhausting for us all. And if you imagine being a journalist and you think we're just, I mean, I've been accused of shit-stirring or, or whatever. I hope I can swear on this podcast. You can't. Um, you can't. But, but um, <laughs> yeah, I've been accused of shit-stirring or Mr. Negative. Look, I'm not Mr. Negative. I'm a realist. And I know that history tells us with takeovers that just because somebody tells you something, it doesn't mean it's true. We've seen how many takeovers we had now with Mike Ashley. You know, BZG was a year ago. Peter Kenyon. You know, that's two I can think of. Amanda Stavely the first time when we all wrote, and journalists, well, we all wrote, oh, yeah, it's done. We've got new owners. And then four hours later, it's not done. So we've got to be very, very wary. And I'm very, very cautious. And I'm a pessimist and I'm sceptical. And I think it's very healthy for me to be that. I'm never going to tell people something that, that they want to hear just because that makes me popular. I think most people who follow me as a journalist will know that's the case. So look, mm-hmm. I have my doubts now. I do. I hope I'm wrong. Um, I may well be wrong. I'm not saying I'm right. But I think it's only healthy that we start to think that there are some doubts now. Let's just see which way the Premier League go. 
I just don't, I'm advice is just don't follow all these Twitter accounts, all these people telling you that it's done or telling you this, telling you that. We will know when it's done, when we know. And that, I don't think you're going to have a journalist out there who's going to be a get you the inside track and say to you, it's done, it's dusted. I just don't think that person exists out there. I might be wrong. You know, you know if I told you it's done and dusted, then obviously it'll be done and done. No, I'm joking. Um, but look, I don't, I don't think we're going to get it like that. We're all going to get it from an official confirmation. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think everybody around this process, certainly one side, has talked far too much throughout yeah. this. And I think that has ended up causing problems for them. Um, so let's just wait and see. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We all hope it goes through. But you know, the one thing I will say is that there are, and I know people get tired of this. There are other people waiting. So I, I do genuinely think he will sell it this time. I think he, yeah. I don't think I actually will still be in charge this time next year. It's as much as I can probably say. But I, I think this is the end of Mike Ashley. It's just whether it's this takeover or another takeover, but we can only wait. Well, I'm waiting as well, and all everybody yeah, Absolutely. I think, um, for me, the fr- most frustrating thing is, you know, obviously I cover it as well, but, you know, not to the degree that you do. Mm. But for me, looking on social media, just in the papers, there's been an awful lot of noise, um, yeah. you know, regarding this one. And for me, it's been as much noise <laughs> regarding this takeover that I've ever seen before. Is that the same for you? Is is this the loudest it's been in regards to a takeover? It's too noisy, um, really. And I, look, journalists live by story. So, you know, look, I, I, I have no problem with the interest coming out. I have no problem at the start of all this that there was information updates and we were getting a little bit of, of stuff was coming out. I didn't have a problem with that. But it's been partly because there's no other football to write about no other real big story so that has focused a lot of other external interest into Newcastle all of a sudden obviously it's a huge thing for the Premier League if Newcastle suddenly become the richest club in the world in theory we don't know if that's even going to be the case because we don't really know what PIF plan to do because we've not spoken to them nobody at PIF has said a single word about this takeover all we know is that Amanda Staveley the Rubin brothers and the PIF have got some sort of partnership together. We don't know how much PIF are going to put in, but this can all wait. But there's been too much said, and, and certainly through the last eight weeks, too many leaks, too many false deadlines, too many people claiming it's going to happen in a few days, it's going to happen next week. And then when that happens, what you tend to get as a journalist, you'll get the counter. So I probably get information that counters a lot of that because I haven't written it. I've never written it's going to be a few days or next week. So it is exhausting and counterclaiming. I think just everybody needs to shut up, to be yeah. perfectly frank. And I include everyone on that. Yeah. I include, there, there are some fans out there who are talking about it too much. Yeah. There are random people on Twitter looking to piggyback this to boost their profiles. You've got people trying to say they're in the know and boost their own, you know, boost their own egos involved with this. And that's become very, very tiring as well. So all we can do is wait. I'm not saying any of these people are wrong. I'm just saying just wait and if unless you know it's official now, don't believe it. Until it's official, just just take everything with a pinch of salt. Crack on with your lives. It's not collapsed. It's ongoing. We've just got to wait. But get on with your lives. Stop stop obsessing with it because you're driving yourself mad. I know I have done. Absolutely. I think like the last couple of days or so since the WHO report came out, I've taken a little bit of a backseat on Twitter, and I think that's the best thing for everyone to do um, because it's just it is exhausting, like you say, and. And as we're in lockdown, it it magnifies everything and it yes. just sends you absolutely potty. Um, I think the lads will tell you, um, you know, Greg and Elijah will tell you, I'm the biggest cynic when it comes to Newcastle United takeovers. 
Um, out of everyone on the site, I've always been like, yeah, it's not going to happen. I can't see it. Yeah. This one has been the one where I've thought, all right, it's further along than any others before, but let's just wait and see. I've always been a wait and see person because mm-hmm. with Mike Ashley, anything can happen. It's obviously out of his hands now and it's with the Premier League and we'll just have to wait and see. But I would say... Um, you know, if we if we don't hear anything this month, then I think everyone's going to go absolutely potty. <laughs> well, at some point, at some point, for the good of the club, it, it needs to resolve one way or the other because we, we we forget there's there's still eight games to play this season and an FA Cup quarter final. And yeah, people don't want to hear it. I know they don't want to hear it, but you have to have some sympathy for Steve Bruce. You know, the last game absolutely. before lockdown, he just won one nil away at Southampton. I think that was that three wins on the trot. I can't. I can't remember. There yeah, was, I know, think so. And, and bearing, in, bearing in mind at Southampton at St Mary's, we've we've got an awful record there. So yeah. to put down there and win one nil was it's a huge result for them. And then they were going into this FA Cup quarter final with you know I know it was Man City, but they played Man City at home, and that would have been a phenomenal occasion with the fans in there. And I think all the Newcastle United fans who went to that game would have put aside whatever misgivings they had about. Mike Ashley, Steve Bruce, the players, whatever. It would have just been a real good day to be a Newcastle United supporter. And that's been taken away from them. But the team, you know, they, they were on a decent little run. They were. And on, again, people don't might want to hear it. They're eight points clear of relegation. They're 13th in the tables where Rafa finished last season. And they have, they have actually got, uh, they had, when you looked at it on paper, a fairly decent run in, actually. Um, but suddenly, all that momentum stopped. You've now got to try and you've got a manager who, you know, if he's realistic, would suspect to be out of a job in the summer. Um, people yeah. probably do want him, but lots of people will want to hear that. But he would certainly suspect he'll be out of a job in the summer, no matter how many times people tell him, oh, no, you'll get time. New owners don't keep the old manager. It's just It just doesn't happen. So he's now got to go back into work, motivate the players. Players who are sitting there going, all right, OK, so... I'm, you know, I'm well established at this club now. I'm one of the senior players. I want to do really well. And, you know, I've a good bunch, good team spirit. And then they're suddenly thinking, well, in the summer, if you've got new owners, I'm not going to be here. So while their minds still all focused on Newcastle, so there's a huge test ahead. So I think we have to have some sympathy for the situation that Steve Bruce and the players find themselves in this as well. And certainly that FA Cup quarterfinal, you know, I, I could actually see Newcastle beating Man City, the truth with them at home earlier in the season. I just think Man City's players, because the Champions League is Man City's priority. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we made changes for that game. I think Newcastle had a chance with fans behind them. But you sort of look at these training games in the Bundesliga. Can you see Newcastle in a behind-closed-doors game beating a Man City team? It's certainly less likely than it was on a... On a I had a funny feeling, actually, um, that it might do us a favour. OK. Um, because I think Man City might turn up and be like, oh, I'm not fancying this. And they'd solely concentrate on the Champions League. But obviously, we don't know what... I think, Champions League's not been played, yeah. is it, unfortunately, at the moment? Yeah, so I, think, I, think for, I think for the FA Cup and stuff, like it's vital for, for that to you know reach its completion and stuff. But I think Man City would find it difficult anyway, coming up to St James's Park under an empty stadium. I think it would... It would be it would be very difficult for Man City as well as Newcastle, but I, I still fancy it. Yeah, um, well, Newcastle's rather... record is pretty decent. They're beating Chelsea, haven't they? They're beating Chelsea, yeah. they're beating Tottenham, they've beaten and drawn at home in Man City this season. So, look, they have done it. I mean, it'll be pretty ugly to watch. I'm, I'm sure it'll be some not particularly attractive victory to do to it. But look, we should be excited about that. We should have been excited about that. That 
you know, I, I've heard Newcastle fans, and look, I am going to stick up for Steve Bruce because of it, and you know, everybody knows. Look, I've heard Newcastle fans scream and holler, and I have echoed every single word that they have said about why don't we take the cup seriously? What's the point? You know, cups, we can win a cup, we can win a cup. They finally got a manager this season who the first meeting he had with Mike Ashley said, I want to go, I'm not, I want to win a cup. You know, we can't win the Premier League, but I want to win a cup. And he changed that policy. No other man, Rafa didn't do that. Rafa just accepted it. Rafa told, oh, I've sat in press conference with Rafa. He's basically told us the cups aren't important. But we defended him because it was Rafa. We all loved Rafa. I love Rafa. Love Rafa. He's a great manager. But none of us turned him over. If some, if any of the managers had said what Rafa said about the cup before him, if Alan Pardew had said that, he'd have been absolutely battered. Yeah. If Steve McLaren had said that, what Rafa said about the cup, certainly in his final season, when he was pretty open about it, then but we finally got a cup run this season. Finally got a cup run. I know they've made hard work of beating Oxford and Rochester. I know all the mitigating circumstances. But look, the last time Newcastle got to an FA Cup final, what was it, 98? Yeah. Yes, 98. Well, I mean, they had a e- really easy run to the to the final. Nobody remembers the run you have. It's about getting to a final. And st- The one thing that Steve Bruce has done, and I don't think anybody can question him on, actually, you can question him on a lot of things. I'm not getting into that argument now. You can say he's not good enough. That's fine. It's a completely separate debate. He took the cup competition seriously and still people gave, you know, just didn't acknowledge the fact that he had given them something that they'd been screaming about yeah. for a decade. And that's what happens with debates around Newcastle rule football, but Newcastle in particular, people become so set. It's like Brexit, isn't it? It's like people get so set in their argument, they're not willing to even see any good in the person that they've decided is hopeless. And I think that's what Steve's thought all this, you know, all of his time at Newcastle. Really, for some, he was never going to be good enough. Nothing that he ever does is ever going to be good enough. But if you judge them solely on results this season and league position, he's done a good job. And I don't, I will argue with anyone who keeps coming back at me and telling me he's hopeless and he's crap. They've not been in the bottom three since September. Exactly. Rafa Benitez, the great Rafa Benitez, are in the bottom three for two-thirds of his time in the Premier League. Or bottom five, sorry. For two-thirds of times in the Premier League. Rafa was a great manager, better manager than Steve Bruce. Don't get, I'm not saying Steve Bruce is better than Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez won the Champions League. He's one of the great managers. But in terms of strictly what they've done at Newcastle, They've done a comparable job in Rafa Benitez, his last season, Steve Bruce at his first. They've done a comparable job. And Rafa didn't get dogs abuse for it. So I don't think Steve should, but there we are. This will upset people be saying all this. <laughs> I think uh, I've got a lot of time for Steve. Um, like, not, I don't necessarily think that he's the, the man to take us forward over the next couple of years or so. But I've got a lot of time for him and I've got a lot of sympathy for what he's gone through this season to have so much abuse and just get his head down and get on with it. I think he's just quietly gone about his business and he's done it really well. And yeah, think- It's just a little bit of respect, Graham. It's, it, some of the stuff, and it's mainly not the match-going fans as well, it's something I've noticed. Yeah. I mean, Those people left for a reason. I'm not criticising anybody for no longer going to games. But if Rafa goes, we go, movement is very, very powerful and people have decided they've had enough. I don't have any problem with that. I sometimes I felt like I'd had enough when Rafa went as well, to be honest with you. Yeah. But I, you know, it's my job. So I'm not. That's a completely separate debate. But just a little bit of respect for the job he's done. He hasn't done a bad job, and he's been abused more, I think, than any manager I can remember. Certainly abused more than McLaren when McLaren took the job. You know, there was less outcry. People have to remember they didn't want Chris Hewton as manager either. I remember all yeah. that debate. They all wanted yeah. Shearer. They got Hewton. Nobody thought Hewton would be good enough. And he ended up, you know, he's now one of the most popular managers of the last, you know, 10 years at Newcastle. Yeah. So, look, he's done a good job and he's done it under extremely difficult circumstances. And I don't think he deserves the vitriol and the poison 
that is poured down on him. And I will defend him till my dying day on that very basis that he has not deserved the abuse he has got. They have never had a long losing run. They haven't been in the bottom three. They're in the FA Cup quarterfinal. He's done a good job. You don't have to like the bloke. You don't have to want him to stay after this takeover. I don't think he will stay after this takeover. I would even question whether he should stay after this takeover. In an ideal world, in a fair world, in a fair world, not an ideal world, in a fair world, the new owners would maybe come in and go, do you know what? He deserves a chance. He's done all right. We'll give him a chance. Yeah. But I don't think that Steve Bruce is the manager to take Newcastle on to be a Champions League team. Do I think that? No. Do I think he's the manager who's going to attract world-class players in the same way that Pochettino or Benitez would? No, I don't. But that's a separate debate. Just be appreciative of the work he's done. He's done a good job. He's done a solid job. He's a Newcastle fan. That doesn't account for much. But he is. He cares about the club. He supports the club. And he's done a good job. And I just think people should show him a little bit more respect. And as I wrote in the Telegraph... People should thank him for what he's done this season because if they Newcastle were in the bottom three now, there would be no takeover. Simple. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think most people get um too hung up on stats, you know, the expected goals and all that nonsense. But there's yeah. there comes a time where stats don't really come into it. If he's picking up results constantly, you know, the stats don't really come into it. That's what I've said. But the expected goals, you know, that's a load of nonsense to me well you, what what you have there some people keep sending me lists of expected goals shots on target sh- uh, chances created rather they keep sending me these stats going he's the worst manager in the premier league no that's opinion based on stats yeah the facts are 13th in the table eight points clear of relegation seven quarterfinals of the fa cup for more than a decade they are facts the rest is stats based opinions yeah. valid opinions but the stats-based opinions, the facts are he's done a decent job and people should just accept that and move on, in my opinion. Absolutely. And um, just touching on uh, Matty Longstaff, obviously his contract situation, you know, it's it's winding down now, getting quite scary yeah. for a lot of the fans because he's he's a great player, great great man. Or can we call him a man yet? <laughs> well, he's a great prospect. I, I, don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't think he's a great player yet. He's a great prospect. The one thing that Newcastle throughout history in my time, they've always sold the best players. We always hear the same arguments. They can earn more money elsewhere. Um, and they've always gone. And we've always blamed the players for wanting to go. Or, you know, long before I lived in the North East, I'm talking Peter Beasley, Chris Waddle, Paul Gascoigne, that, that era. You know, all those same arguments were, were put forward. They could get more money elsewhere. They're listening to bad agents and blah, 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 blah. But the, the Matty Longstaff situation is he's a young kid. He is best served staying at Newcastle. If I was advising him, that is what I would say. I think the issue has been complicated by the fact that uh, Sean, who only signed a new contract last season, is also demanding a new contract. And the club have said, you signed a new contract a year ago and you got a big pay rise. Why are we suddenly going to give you you another new contract? So they've sort of been held. One has been sort of clinked to the other. So Matty's not signing because Sean is also not being given a new contract. I hope it gets resolved. I think it's incredibly important that both the Longstaff brothers stay, not just for the club, not just for the club, but for them. Because I think, you know, I'm not saying they will spend their entire career, one club, one city, one player. I'm not saying that will happen, but they're still both very young. Okay, look, if Matty Longstaff gets a move to another Premier League club, he's going to be told you're going to be an automatic starter in our midfield then take the move. But I don't think he is going to get that. He's, what, how many games has he started in the Premier League? It's not. It's a handful of games. Yeah. He's, he's a player with potential. 
and common sense should prevail on both sides of that argument. The club should want to keep him. They should be able to move. We've seen the we've seen the account. There's the money there to give them the pay rise, but they've also got to be reasonable on what they're demanding. And if you know, if if Sean is asking for money that that is above where he is in his career, then the club, of course, are entitled to say no. But the club should also stop being low-balling. And unfortunately, under Ashley, we have this history of club contract offers being low. And therefore, you know, if they are low-balling again on both of them, and the players know they can get more money elsewhere, then it's the club have been stupid. But with all these things, there has to be an element of compromise. So both sides need to probably move. Common sense should prevail, and the Longstaff brothers should be here for the next two or three years, for sure. I, I hope that's what happens. Because as you said, Graham, he's a real... I think Matty's a better prospect than Sean, personally. I do. Um, I don't want to demean Sean by saying that because I think Sean, he's gone backwards a little bit this season. He's struggled a bit, but we saw what player he could have been last season, the potential he had. So I just hope they both do what's right for their long-term future, really, and they both stay at the club that they obviously love in an area they know and they give two or three more years to Newcastle. And then fair enough, if their careers go in the way they want to go and they think they're going to be top international midfielders, then by all means, you know, no problem. Someone comes in with big money and they've got a Man City wants to sign you. But of course, when Newcastle are taken over, none of this will matter and Man City will have less money than Newcastle. So this will all be irrelevant. But common sense needs to prevail with that one. He's winding down his contract now, Matty. I think, if you ask me, I think he'll end up staying. Um, but I just hope the club, that the problem is history again, it's, it's when, you, when, when you know Newcastle have lowballed on, on contract offers so often in the past, you do worry that they're doing it again. But I do also have that sense of they, the players also need to be realistic and work out that they're not, they're not automatic starters in there. They're not, they're not first choice in their positions in that team, in that squad at the moment. So therefore, they cannot expect to have, any one of them can have, expect to have parity with, someone on 60, 70 grand a week. I'm not, I don't think they're asking for that, by the way. I'm just saying you have to be realistic on where they are in their career as well. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's, it's vital for, for them both to stay. Um, and finally, um, just a bit of fun, I suppose, but um, for me anyways, uh, what is your favourite moment under the Ashley era? Favourite moment? Oh, good one. Um... I, it's not so well moment moment would probably be the uh well there was the demolition derby wasn't there the which i was there with a horrendous hangover and hadn't slept and it was one of the worst <laughs> match reports i've ever written not like professional still in the journal then um so that was a, that was a that was a great moment but you as a moment it will you've got two choices really you've got the alan pardew fifth place yeah. season or sixth place fifth place season wonderful team Massively underrated, came from nowhere. No one has expected them to do it. Um, that was a really, really good team. And give Alan Parr to his dues. That season, he was really good. And he got the best out of a, you know, they, they had something that season. And then that all unraveled with that ridiculous decision to bring Joe Kinnear back as director of football, if you remember. Um, uh, and it all unraveled from there. So there was that season, which was really, really good. But the actual, the favourite moment I've had under Ashley will be the first season in the championship um, when I was uh, I was still on the journal. Again, I was a chief football writer on the journal, sports writer, sorry. And we all went into that wanting Alan Shearer to get the job. And I wrote a piece saying it had to be Alan Shearer. And then when Alan was sort of hung out to dry and in shockingly shoddy fashion by the Ashley regime, you know, that, that group of players 
were a fantastic bunch. And the stories covering that season was really good fun again. And it was the first time, not just under Ashley, actually, but the first time for a long time in the latter Shetland former ever, since Robson left, really. Yeah. Um, certainly the last season when Rhoda had them in the Europa League, it was the first time covering Newcastle was fun again. And the players were good. Uh, media relations were great. Um, Hewton was was really boring to deal with media-wise, but I class him as a friend now. There's not many people in football I'd say as a friend. Wonderful, wonderful guy. And that the way they turned that around that season was brilliant. And we have to also remember that they were far more dominant in the Championship that season than they were yeah. the most previous year, playing better football. Um, and they were just like, you know, Alan Smith. You forget Nicky Butt was in that team. Joey Barton, Kevin Nolan. Andy Carroll at his best. Sholian Miobi was great. Peter Lovenkrantz, Polacini, Enrique, um, Gutierrez, Steve Harper in goal. Just from front to back, good lads. Maybe not Joey Barton. Um, uh, but, you know, they were entertaining. They were good to deal with. And the way they turned that around, when Newcastle really, we all said they were going to be the next Leeds when they went down. They were in absolute disarray. And they lost to Leighton Orient in pre-season. Obviously, I'm a Leighton Orient fan, so that's not a reason why. They got hammered as well. Um, just a great... That was just a great sort of unexpectedly enjoyable season. And, and I would actually have that above above the one year with Pardew when I know yeah. it was great and they finished fifth. But just the circumstances that led to them turning that around. And they absolutely smashed the championship that season. They did. They did. The reverse of that question, what's the yeah. worst moment been? There's been plenty. There's been so many. So <laughs> many. Look, well, look, the worst is going to be if, you know, Newcastle have this chance to be the world's richest football club, in theory, and uh, and it all falls through. That wouldn't be his fault, necessarily, so we shouldn't blame him for that. The worst moment, I think the Joe Kinnear second, the second appointment of Joe Kinnear, uh, coming back the director of football, absolute shambolic from start to finish. He wasn't a director of football. He shouldn't have been anywhere near football at that stage in his life. To appoint him as director of football, I think that just ruined so much. There's been so many, though, hasn't there? It's Gutierrez's treatment when he had cancer. Um, the way Kevin Keegan was lied to at the start. So, you know, it probably all went wrong for, for Mike Ashley with Kevin Keegan's dismissal. Yeah. So there are so many to choose from. You know, believing Dennis Wise over, over Kevin Keegan. You know, that, that whole football board that he had right at the start. Jimenez. He was, what was he, a steward at Chelsea? So, look, the Mycaster years have been awful, horrific. The man is an insult to the football club and everything it should stand for. He's been a hopeless football club owner. And I've written this piece, which is good to go if the takeover happens, when I will absolutely let rip on Mike Ashley. I don't like him. He doesn't like me. I've battled him for 13 years. So, is there a worse moment? I'd probably say 12 out of the 13 years have been pretty <laughs> awful. There's been occasional highlights to say that. The two seasons in the championship, because it was good under Rafa as well. Rafa arriving, um, you know, the, the the year under Hewton. There's been some good moments, but unfortunately, it's been the club have gone backwards, really, from what they were when he took over. Certainly, what they've been in the decade before him to the decade that he's been in control. He's been terrible. Never, never understood football. It's all been about what benefits Sports Direct. He's hopeless. He needs to go. He will go. He's made some utterly callous decisions. To fall out with one club legend is, okay, you know, maybe excusable. To do it to two, to sack Chris Hewton when they were 12. You know, to give Alan Pardew an eight-year contract, to refuse to sack Alan Pardew for all of those dire last few seasons when they were crap. 
They were really awful to watch. People keep talking about standard of football now and it being terrible. God. Oh, Steve McLaren. The Steve McLaren, you know, spent 80 million quid and then appointed Steve McLaren, who I think he just lost his job at Derby, hadn't he? Yeah. But he, uh, he's like, you know, there have been so many bad decisions. But, you know, I'm going through them all just on top of it. It's been pretty miserable, but there's been the occasional highlight, which has had basically had nothing to do with Mike Ashley. So that's, that's probably pretty damning. On that note, it's been a pleasure yeah. speaking to you, Luke. Um, you've been listening to um, CHN Radio. We hope to um, hear from you again soon. Cheers. Away the lads. For Newcastle fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. Don't settle for an old Gmail address. Show your true colours with your personalised at ToonArmy.com email address to use in-app or on the web. Download the free Toon Army app now from the App Store and Google Play. All right, so we're here with the Americanized version of CHN Radio. Uh, if you listen to that interview with Graham and Luke, you're very pleased. But now, now it's time for fun. Now it's time for the fun. And if you have followed Luke, you either hate him or <laughs> love him or want to hear more about his wine. <laughs> um, so, so with us is Luke Edwards. Uh, we have we have Elijah Newsom. Graham's even still here. The whole the whole squad's here. So everyone say hello. What's um, up? Hi. But but Luke, we we want to get to the more, most important things first. Yeah. We need to we need to find out which players represent which wine around the world for Newcastle United. The, the okay. greats, the current players. So oh, Elijah has a few to start with. Um, so he'll he'll start naming the players now, and uh, we'll, okay. let's, let's talk about wine. I'm yeah. just going to do types of wine. I'm not going to give you vintages. My, uh, my my knowledge doesn't extend that far. I'm more of a wine drinker than a wine connoisseur. But anyway, let's go. I do know more wines. Come on. Here we go, Elijah. Yeah, I mean, my knowledge of wine is minimal as well. Well, not as well. Just minimal in general. I'd we see need to get red, into wine. Uh, How old are you, Elijah? 22. So no, you're too I've, young. You're too yeah, young. Your, yeah. your palate won't be sophisticated enough. Yeah, you've got you're a, right. You know, you've got to you've got to stick to the beer for now. Um, yeah. I think first, once you once you hit thirty, you just you'll see wine in a new light. Okay, well that's good to know. I'll stick to drinking <laughs> Bud Light. That's you know. oh, you <laughs> no. drink nice beer. No, no, I'm messing. No, no, okay. uh, we we, Coors, we drink I mean, craft beer. Like, oh no, no, <laughs> no, we drink uh, we drink, we drink whiskey around these parts. <laughs> We're we're a whiskey podcast. Yeah, this is a, this is definitely a brown liquor podcast, but uh, okay, a little little too early for that. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's, yeah, it's it's 10 a. 7 a.m. for you, Greg. Yeah, <laughs> for me, uh, it's probably uh, getawayable. Yeah. All right, so let's start with uh, a fan favorite, uh, Alan Saint Maximin. <gasps> Alan. Okay, so I love like Alan Saint Maximin. Right, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story here. When I was a, a, a mascot at Leighton Orient, there was a player called Kevin Godfrey who was my favorite player. Kevin Godfrey was a slightly erratic, incredibly skillful player. Uh, black guy, huge afro. This is the this is the eighties. I just absolutely adored him. He's just one of them players who, when you got the ball, something was going to happen, right? And I, I just sort of fell in love with football because of that, right? We've got players like that. So Maxim is that guy. He has in a really dull Newcastle team, and as much as I've defended Steve Bruce earlier, it's been pretty hard to watch them this season. But so Maxim has been that guy who has lit up the stadium. He's lit up the Premier League. He is just, I just adore him. He's just everything I want in a footballer. You can't have 11 of them in a team. So it'd be a bit like that. It'd be a very special bottle of wine for a special occasion. But one that, you know, 
you'd really like did. I'm going to go with a very expensive French Chablis. Oh, I don't know what that means. That's fine. That... I think all Chablis is French. <laughs> no. I don't think I needed to say French. Yeah, Chablis I was going to say, I was, I, was like, like, I was like, is there a German Chablis? <laughs> no, exactly. I don't, I, okay, well, anyway, whatever, a Chablis. It'd be a bottle of Chablis. Chablis is, is my prince of wines, king of wines. Ooh. It's... Yeah. Um, but it's very expensive, uh, or can be. So I do have somewhere, I do have a £45 bottle of Chablis, uh, which I've hidden it? from my wife, because my wife has a habit of just put, plucking out, like, just whatever bottle, and helping herself and her friends, not that we've seen any friends for a while. <laughs> um, so this bottle is hidden, but it, it might be there for takeover day. I might open up for takeover day. Oh, I've, I've got a bottle I'm opening up for takeover day as well. Yeah. So I feel that. I feel that. Use a Chablis. Set maximum is a Chablis. My favourite wine. Beautiful to drink, special, exciting. Never had a bad bottle of it. Brilliant. Okay, you gotta love that. Um, so yep. we'll, we'll actually we'll actually alternate, Elijah. Uh, okay. That way everyone can hear all of our voices. Uh, okay. The now this one I'm really curious. Uh, we're gonna go with the other side of the wing, Miguel Almiron. Oh, see, I love Miguel Almiron as well. Um, <laughs> You want something that's solid, reliable, Maybe never going to let American. you down. Yeah, just it's going to be a Chardonnay. I mean, oh. he's just a Chardonnay. He, he is an unoaked Chardonnay. Oak Chardonnay can be a oh. bit too buttery, but uh, an unoaked Chardonnay, crisp, refreshing, never, ever, ever lets you down. So if I, if someone, you know, you know, you go to a restaurant, you look at a wine list, and I'm not that poncy to know that much about wine. I just look for the Chardonnay and go, bang, right, I'll have a bottle of Chardonnay. Unless there it's it got red meat, and then you have to have red wine. But yeah, no, it'd be a Chardonnay. Brilliant. Yeah, love, love me. Just, just like when you're picking the team sheet, Almiron's on there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. what a guy. That's good. Um, so we'll move on to a, a polarizing figure at St. James for the past couple seasons, the bald man himself, Voldemort, John Joe Shelby. See, I'm going to go, go white again. Um, but I'm going to go for a wine that can be a bit hit and miss as far as I'm concerned and that is a Sauvignon Blanc so you can get very nice Sauvignon Blancs but you can also get some really shitty ones that are like (laughs) like just not so okay you have yeah I'll have that Sauvignon Blanc oh that's really oh it's really nice really nice that then you open another bottle there you're like oh Jesus um yeah, so he's he's definitely a Sauvignon Blanc. Can be wonderful. Can be very solid, very drinkable, very palatable, refreshing, particularly on a hot day. Then other times you just think, mm, I wish I picked another bottle. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. I love that one. Um, all right. So now I'm I'm thinking just me personally, a little bit earthier here. Okay. Full bodied. Uh, yeah. Let's go with uh, Martin Dubravka. Oh, now see my favorite red. <laughs> Would be a Merlot. So okay. you can't go again. You see, you can't go wrong with a Merlot. You <laughs> yeah. can't. It's just again. It's look on the menu. A bit like Almiron. Merlot's going to be there. It's going to, and it's always going to be my first pick. If I'm looking at the Reds, if I've ordered a nice steak, I'm not mucking around with any Shirazes or Cabernet Sauvignons. I'm going Merlot. It's mm. softer. It's it's more interesting and more exciting than a Pinot Noir because a Pinot Noir is is very drinkable, but Merlot's class. A yeah. nice, but really nice bottle of Merlot is my favourite red wine. Absolute quality. You struggle to have a bad Merlot as well, even if maybe, you have a budget. Maybe forty pounds bottle of Merlot. You think? No, you wouldn't need to go that high for a good Merlot. Okay, okay. You wouldn't have 25? to go that high. You, you you could probably get like a ten pound bottle of Merlot would be good. Oh yeah, 
Let's I'm go. quite cheap, my wine. I drink wine. <laughs> I don't like, you know, yeah. when the bottle's open, I'm having You're not like, I'm back drinking it. it. I'm drinking it. I'm not, I'm not like <laughs> sipping it, swilling it around, <laughs> sniffing it. I'm a drinker. The Martin de Bradford is definitely a high class Merlin. <laughs> I love that. Um, let's move on to, uh, you know, some players who there's maybe, you know, some debates out on them. Uh, let's start with uh, Joel Linton. <laughs> now he would be he would be that wine right okay so it doesn't i'm not even going to say a type okay but he'd be that wine you're on a first date second no not first date you never buy expensive wine on a first date this is silly not that i've dated for a long time but okay you're with a really nice woman or man partner whoever you want to take you're out on a date with them and uh you go ah oh, i'll impress them i'll go champagne all right Champagne's a basically really expensive bottle of fizzy white wine. Okay, There's, it's like it's it's just not that great. But you think it's going to be great when you get it because it's expensive. So oh, you man. spend like eighty. <laughs> you spend eighty pounds on this bottle of champagne. <laughs> it arrives and it just bubbles up your nose. Doesn't really even taste that much and a complete waste of money. Sorry, Joel Linton, because he's going to come good. But don't waste your money on champagne. So Joel Linton is champagne. Oh, I'd love for him to come good. Our personal theory is that he might just go off like during this uh, project restart. Yeah. There's no fans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wrote, wrote something similar for the paper. which hasn't gone in yet. saying exactly that saying that actually of all the players who might benefit, because all the, if you talk to the players like privately, they're all like, I, oh, she's like, he's actually pretty good. Like, he's, you yeah. know, he's a good player. And then I know Steve and Steve is genuine in it. I mean, the, the, the stuff I was going to do with Steve, I'll give you a while before it even appears in the paper. He was saying, he, he would never take, he would never be happier for a player, any who he's managed or played with, to come good than Joel Linton. He likes him that much as a, as a player. He's got this massive heart. So I may have feel a bit bad now. I hope he doesn't listen to this, me saying he's champagne in a waste of money. But only on what he's delivered so far, he could be that really good champagne. Do you know what I mean? He could, he could be like winner's champagne. When they win the FA Cup and Joel Linton has scored, he's going to be that great pop of the champagne, spray it all over the dressing room player. So... I think he might come good. Look, it's a bit of a cliche, and I know people trot this out, but he wouldn't be the first player to have come to the Premier League who struggled to make an impact. And he's playing in a pretty shit team who don't create a lot of chances. Yeah. And he was yeah. never a number nine. Whoever signed him as a number nine should have just been dismissed instantly, which is Nixon, isn't it? So, yeah. sorry, Jordan. I feel bad now. But no, I think he might come good. I, I, I wouldn't judge him... I wouldn't judge him until next season now. Um, and if he's got a heart, you know, look, Newcastle fans can complain as much as they want about the quality, but I keep being told if they, you know, they want someone who cares. And I think Joel Linton falls into that category. So I hope, I hope he does come good. But he's still an expensive bottle of champagne. He just wasted your money on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next one is Steve Nixon. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, uh, the next one we'll do is, we'll do local lads. We'll do the long okay. staffs. What wine is your equivalent for the long staffs? So I was hoping you're going to give me like an unheralded player there who's actually better than Steve's, but I've got one. Give me one of those next after this. Okay. So the Longstaff. Okay. okay they're, they're an English homegrown wine. Okay. So the English wine industry is not great, but it's definitely improving. So uh, with global warming now on the sofa case, you can, you can buy fizzy wines. Fizzy white English wines are quite good. Um, but maybe, maybe a little, you know, expensive taste. So they're involved in this contract wrangle. English wine's very expensive probably pay a little bit over the odds for it. So I would say there are an English wine showing a lot of promise from a sort of unheralded area, Newcastle's Academy. They don't produce very many. So English wine is definitely, I'm getting good. Yeah, okay, this is good. Yeah. It's getting yeah. better. You're it's rolling. getting better. It's getting more, building quite a reputation for itself now. It's no longer the, 
you know, no longer a waste of time drinking English wine. The Academy has produced these two brothers. They're a very solid, promising English wine from a, from a very, uh, you know, an artisan uh, vinery uh, on the south coast of England, except they're in the northeast. But yeah, they're an English wine, up and coming, can only get better. The, the vines are from the south coast. We brought them up to the north to make it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you can't grow wine in Newcastle. I mean, yeah. Just that. I mean, that, that would not work well. <laughs> that wouldn't work. No, no. All right, let's move on to uh, club legend Alan Shear. How can you describe Alan in a wine? Um, <laughs> we we more, it. No, okay. I'm going to move drinks. He's a Napoleonic brandy, right? Oh, okay, cool. just just <laughs> phenomenal. The shit. They're just you know yeah. you're not going to get better. This brandy has been aged. It's all. It's got everything. Full bodied, rounded. It is the best of the brandies. You don't get many of them coming along. They're very very rare. He's Napoleonic brandy. And when I say Napoleonic brandy, I mean like a brandy from the Napoleonic Wars. He's like, he is that good, that special, once in a lifetime. There isn't a, wine, there isn't a wine I can compare to Alan Shearer. He's Napoleonic brandy. Mm. It's hits you in forward, hits you in the finish. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. All it's got around. everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I, I'm interested about this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jack Colback. Ooh, um, you know when you've left wine, like you've drunk half of it and it wasn't very good. Um, yeah. yeah. And then you leave it without the cork in, and yeah, then man. you're like desperate one night, and it's like three <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and you've invited a house guest round who you kind of don't really like. You want them to leave, and they say, oh, "I can have a glass of wine." You go and get that from behind, beside the cooker. And you just pour it into a glass and then see if they'll drink it. He, uh, basically <laughs> vinegar. Oh, yes. That's great. <laughs> World's best training partner, according to John Joe, though. He's actually yeah. a nice guy. He's yeah, a, he's I bet he's guy, nice. Actually. He wasn't even that bad. I'm just, you know, he was, he was, he was okay. He was solid, but... Yeah, but his I time is his come him. and gone and, you know, yeah. it's time for him. His wine, his wine that I've got by the stoke. So I have a collection of, like, unfinished bottles by the cooker, which I use for gravy mainly uh, on my Sunday yeah. roast uh, he, he's in that collection there okay that's a really good idea actually you can't drink it because you can't play uh, but you can cook with it so yeah there you go yeah. that's that's perfect actually all right <laughs> moving on to uh i think one of my personal favorite players who i've spoken a lot about uh, a ton actually about a little bit too much um akraf lazar <laughs> just a shiraz you know, do you ever really notice a Shiraz? Are they, are they good? <laughs> yes. Don't really know. I never ordered them. I've, I've, I've decided at some point in my life that I don't like Shiraz. He's a Shiraz. I've no idea. I've, 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 been, I've, I've no idea what Shiraz is like. I've no idea what Lazar is like. So, you know, he's a Shiraz. Well, you'll find out soon when he's announced uh, to whatever MLS team talks oh, okay. himself into signing him as you know, they'll, they'll put him up. It's going to be Orlando City. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to put him up and be like, yeah. we've just signed this former Premier League player and their fans are like, oh man, this is so great. And they're not going to know anything about him. They're just going to no, assume well, it's okay. good. And why are Orlando going to sign him? Orlando not very well, good? Well, they, 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 no, they have not. a history. They're not, they're not good. And they have a history of signing players that um, were really good a long time ago and are just not good anymore. Like, Okay, that's, just, that's their mo. Uh, so okay, well, Lazar's a Shiraz anyway. Wouldn't wouldn't yeah. know wouldn't know what he's like because I never ordered Shiraz. Yeah, um, we'll do two more. Okay, the one is is a podcast legend for us. Um, his his name is Warren Barton. 
Pinot Noir. Warren oh. Barton, once once described as uh, Bobby Robson's blue chip brigade. Wonderful yeah. guy. Uh, very good to me in the early years of my journalistic career. Had a bit of a bad reputation at the time. Wasn't always loved, Warren Barton. Wasn't always loved, but a Pinot Noir. American Pinot Noirs are very good, I believe. In uh, Oregon, Pinot Noirs are fantastic. Yes. There we go. I didn't even read that in my wine bible, but they are very good. I've been to Oregon. Pinot Noirs are very good. Warren Barton is a Pinot Noir, and, and I love a Pinot Noir. They are the most drinkable and likable, universal likable of red wines. So he's a Pinot Noir. Very smooth. Sitting on the patio, sipping. Yeah, sipping a nice just smooth, drink. just yeah. unoffending, just very drinkable. You, can, yeah. you, have, you, take, you have to be careful, Pinot Noirs, because you can drink too much. Yeah, because they go down so smoothly, can drink a bit too much yeah <laughs> that's probably like when uh yeah that that definitely gives me a bit warren barton vibes <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like there yeah like i was on twitter the other day i was like oh loving what warren's doing and then he was like newcastle should sign holland and i was like time out we are not there yet <laughs> <laughs> let's let's take it all back right, calm down yeah soaking up the san diego sun for sure <laughs> yeah. no i'm gonna give i'm gonna give warren barton my pinot noir just Smooth yeah. operator. Yeah. Um, and we'll end on another podcast legend. Uh, honestly, a coming home Newcastle legend. Uh, one that <laughs> I have written about extensively. One that our the podcast account and our main account, we've tweeted about a ton. Mm. Um, got a lot of slack for it, but people have now understood our stance on this player. Okay. He is a club legend in my eyes. Yeah. Possibly. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether I'm pausing because you just described him as a club legend. Um, I mean, how many club legends oh, have, I got a have wine. that scoring record at Burnabout? Yeah, I mean, uh, how many club legends do okay, you know? He's be, have... Okay, he was pretty cheap, wasn't he? He was he really be, cheap. He would be a Cabernet Sauvignon, okay? A workhorse of a wine. <laughs> Not... Not great to drink, in my opinion. There are very nice Cabernet Sauvignons, obviously. Very nice ones out there. Just not really for me. Uh, but reliable, solid. Every every wine collection needs someone like that or a bottle like that. It's an everyday, functional wine. Mm. Cabernet Sauvignon, which I'm not overly keen on. I, you know, but he was okay. And he, he, he got a bad rep. I mean, he was a striker who didn't score goals. But that's... Yeah, that's, you know, maybe that's not great. We've got another one of them in Joel Linton. So um, <laughs> one cost a tiny fraction of the other. Actually, <laughs> he'd be Carver, wouldn't he? If Joel Linton was champagne, Josselu was Carver. It's fizzy wine, bit crap, but you know, people drink it. Yeah, people drink maybe, it. And... Maybe it's a wine where, like, most people know it's not great, but you get yeah. that one expert wine drinker and said, "Hey, try this," and they're like, "Yeah, oh." That's, that's underrated. The that's underrated the of the fizzy wine bracket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's, that's a Real Madrid that's uh, it. wine it's connoisseur. Carver. Look up yeah. Carver. It's just <laughs> crap fizzy white wine. But you know, we all need a bit of crappy fizzy white wine in our in our lives sometimes. Yeah. And Josselu was very much that player. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget uh, tweeting. I can't believe Hoslu has just taken a shot and it's gone out for a throw-in. That's just I'll he never forget. He did score against that. Liverpool, though, didn't he? He did. There Remember you the go. Against Liverpool. Yeah. The, the, yeah. He he was always there for the big moments. <laughs> he was there for the big moments. Uh, he was missing money. He was pretty bad, but he was an honest and honestly bad, which is why he's Carver because Carver yeah. knows it's not very good. It just does the job. 
And I mean, yeah. good on him. He's doing well in La Liga uh, for Deportivo. So I'm pleased for him. I'm, yeah. I, I, and you, Elijah. I'm pleased. You, uh, it's pleased <laughs> for him and you. Yeah, we're, See, we're, what we're... I really want. Give me an underrated player. Do one more. A player who's underrated okay. and who's a lot better than, than we think. Okay. Uh, unheralded. Cur- slightly unheralded. Current, a current player? I've, I've got yeah. one. Oh, oh, go, go, ahead, ahead, go ahead, Graham. Graham, speaking. Go ahead. From the top row. Um, Isaac Hayden. White Rioca. See, oh, everybody oh, assumes that Riocas are just red wines, right? So everyone assumes that Isaac Hayden isn't really needed, that he's not actually that good a central midfielder. But he is. White Riocas are the unheralded hero of the wine world. I love a white Rioca. Every team needs one. Every wine collection needs a bottle of white Rioca in there somewhere. Um, and everyone assumes the white Riocas are red. Well, not well, obviously not white Riocas are red. They always assume Riocas are red. But no white Riocas. From Spain, because you don't get any other from a little bit like the uh, Chablis when I said the French Chablis earlier. But no, white wine from Spain called Rioja. That's what Isaac Hayden is. Mm. All right, we're going to have to do one more then. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Jamal LaSalle's. Ooh. The captain. <laughs> I'm going to go white or red. Pinot Grigio. Oh, yeah? Same family as the Chardonnay. Uh-huh. Uh, same grape. Uh... Crisp, good-looking, very oh, yeah. good-looking. I mean, mm. Jamal Asel is a good-looking man, yeah. I have to say. He He's is. a very, very good-looking <laughs> man. Uh, but maybe a bit showy, a little bit showy. Pinot Grigio, I can find, can be a little bit showy, a little bit too, you know, trying to be a little bit too sophisticated, maybe a Pinot Grigio, but very good-looking wine, very solid, good leader, good leader, some Pinot Grigio. You know, they, they mm. lead the way, I think, in a lot of wine collections, and I think so. Jamal Asel would be a Pinot Grigio. Oh. And my wife likes Pinot Grigios, so she probably yeah. <laughs> Does she like Jamal Sells? No, well, I've never asked her. So, okay. but, I mean, he's a good-looking man, isn't he? I mean, yeah. I like him. I yeah. mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not that way inclined, but he is a very good. He is a very good-looking man. Yeah, you have to give credit too. <laughs> yeah. I'm not that way inclined. <laughs> yeah, but he's very. He's a very handsome man. Yeah. yeah, when you stand in front of Jamal Lasalle, you just do look at him a bit like David Beckham. You just think mm, you're annoyingly good looking. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that's going to conclude our wine segment. Uh, just one one last question from everybody: When's this takeover going to happen? Oh, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Easy question. It's um, Easy. it's uh, look Friday. Yeah, I've, said to, I've, I've said I've said to Graham in the in the in the the podcast bit I did look. We have to accept that there must be some doubt now because it's been eight weeks of the fit and proper person's test. If there were no problems, it would have all gone through by now. But we've just got to wait. I don't know. I don't know. If there were no problems, it would have been done by now. Are yeah. those problems going to derail it? I don't know. But there are obviously problems that need to be sorted out and ironed out. And anyone who tells you that there are no red flags and all this stuff that we keep being told, they don't know or they're lying because there will be some flags. Those red flags can come up and they have to be removed and turned to green, which is what's trying to happen. Look, only the Premier League know. I'm a bit worried, but I've not given up and I'm not that worried that it's keeping up at night or anything like that. So, um, And we have a lot of wine to drink in the meantime. I see what you've made me want to open a bottle now, actually. Oh, God. I think it's going to have to be white. I should have brought a rosé. Jamal Sells would have been a rosé. Oh. No, no, actually, Pinot Grigio is fine. It's fine. Pinot Grigio. Yeah. <laughs> Our craft Lazar could have been a rosé. <laughs> no, nah, he was good. That. Shiraz. No one drinks Shiraz. Nobody knows what Shiraz is like. <laughs> Just Elijah's favourite player. All right, this has been great fun. Is that uh, it? Is yeah. That from me? Yeah. yeah. No, that's it. That's, that's going to conclude right. this lovely right. pod. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Luke, really appreciate it. 
Graham, really appreciate it. Elijah, best damn co-host in the land. Thank you. Everyone, Thank have a good week. <laughs> yeah, yes. all right. Cheers, guys. See you later. Cheers. Bye. 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 But I wish I was on the case side Looking at the old time bridge I'm coming home, Newcastle I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown hill I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the club again I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park If the Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming home To be a Jody and to live in Jody land. Some people think we're forty and we're hard to understand. And they say it's just self-pity and we're not so very tough. Cause the people in the big fat city haven't had it tough as rough. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. I've walked the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the river tine. I'm coming home. Newcastle, I wish I'd never been away. I kissed the ground for the welcome sound in my mother saying, Hey, how we I'm coming home. And I miss the old blind busker who stands at Fenwick's door. He plays a mean accordion, you've all seen him there before. And I love the Geordie heroes, there's so many famous names Like Lindisfarne in Gaza, Brendan Foster in the Gateshead Games I'm coming home, Newcastle, I might as well have been in jail I'd walk the streets all day, I'll need for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle, if you never win the cup again I'll brave the dark at St. James's Park at the Gallagher's end in the rain. I'm coming home, Newcastle. You can keep your London wine. I'll walk the streets all day. I'll meet for a bottle of the River Tyne. I'm coming home, Newcastle. I wish I'd never been away. I'd kiss the ground for the welcome sound in me mother saying, Hey, how we? I'm coming home, Newcastle. I might as well have been in jail. Walk the streets all day I'll meet for a bottle of your own brown ale I'm coming home, Newcastle If you never win the cup again I'll brave the dog It's in James's Park At the Gallagher's end in the rain I'm coming home, Newcastle